0: Good night. Whatever it is, whatever time appropriate greeting is for you as we kick off the Schmidt show. Thanks for joining me. I am in fact your host Brad Schmidt and I am really no stranger to to controversy. I have as a former pastor been a part of various controversies. Things that I've said have been controversial. Also, added to being a former pastor, a host of a local radio show, um, for a, and a talk radio station for the last, uh, half a decade. I have said lots of things that are controversial, sometimes gotten in trouble with my, with my, uh, superiors at the radio station. Um, most often they stand behind me and I've never really had a problem. I've never been you know fired or anything like that, you know anything dramatic. Um but I've said a few th- controversial things where they've said, "Hey, hey, you know, y- you can't be doing that. That's that causes a problem for us and so you can't you can't do that kind of thing." So I am no stranger to <laughs> I'm no stranger to to controversy and to saying things that can stir up some trouble. And so this stuff that I see going on with the YouTube stuff with Steven Crowder being demonetized shadow banning of conservatives and, and other uh, various uh, exercises of free speech being limited on YouTube and Twitter and, and so many other various social media platforms um, has never really bothered me. I've just thought, well, that's just the way these things go. Um as a as a former pastor as a radio host I'm used to people telling me you shouldn't say such things because if you say such things people are going to be upset at you and if you say such things it could hurt your revenue and as a radio guy having been involved in radio for the last like say half a decade now um this the story always goes whenever we hear Um, people talking about, well, there's a boycott of such and such a a, a radio host because an an advertiser doesn't want to advertise with them or whatever. Uh, The the kind of the go-to story for most of us in radio is, well, Rush Limbaugh is the most boycotted radio host in the country, and he still makes millions of dollars a year. So what? People boycott things or, or advertisers refuse to advertise on certain shows and certain stations all the time. So what? Nobody cares. We'll find someone else who does want to advertise with us because there's always going to be someone who wants to advertise with us. Now, that has kind of been the standard and kind of where I have stayed for a long time, but... Uh, With some of the stuff coming out with Steven Crowder and some of the others, I am beginning to get a little bit worried, and I'll kind of explain why. But as I mentioned last week on the podcast, I want to talk a little bit about um, the idea or the concept of telling the story, kind of give you my background, tell you a little bit about my story and how I ended up finding myself in the middle of the discussion about whether or not various forms of speech are called or considered hate speech or if they are simply um, freedom of speech. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. We're going to get into the discussion. Um, I don't know that I'm going to get into a lot of the details of the case because it gets to be quite complicated. The, The timing of when Crowder was demonetized or when he wasn't demonetized because he was demonetized once before, and he actually talks about about ninety percent of his videos had already been demonetized. Um, but there is so, like, say, I'm not going to get into all the details of it because it gets to be a bit complicated and boring, and giving a bunch of dates and times and and who said what and who and when did they say it. Um, I'm not sure is necessary for. Um, a little a, a legitimate discussion about this issue so that's what we're gonna tackle today and I apologize I don't know if you can hear this I can hear it in the background they're building they're literally building a hospital just across the street about a half a block from the studio here and it's driving me crazy and I can hear them pounding the pilings they get the pile driver um, banging away and it's a consistent thumping so I, I don't know if you can hear it I can hear it if you can't great I can. And if if I get a little distracted, that's that's why. So I apologize in advance for that if you can hear it. Um, and if you can't, great. That's even better. But anyway, let's go back a little bit. Let's step back a few years to to get to how I found myself in the middle of this discussion of free speech and the idea of where we are heading as whether it's a, a nation or a culture, a society or or whatever, how we ended up where we're at and how I found myself in the middle of it. I went to uh, a small, I lived in a small town in the middle of nowhere, North Dakota, uh, growing up. And it was a pretty kind of conservative area, red blooded American farm, you know, community hardworking dudes that just wanted to Live their lives, grow their crops, sell them in the fall, and and wait till next spring and do it all over again. Um, and so the the mindset of most of the people I knew, even if they were quote unquote Democrats, were still fairly conservative. They were pro gun, they were pro life, they were um, they didn't really fit with the mainstream Democrat party, but eh, they still fit more with them on their views of taxation and and some other things, um, than than they did with the Republican Party, and so even though they were Democrats, they were still Republicans. They or they were still conservative Democrats. What what is commonly referred to as a quote unquote Blue Dog Democrat, and so that was kind of the area that I grew up in. That was where I was. Um, that was where I. Kind of learned about life. I grew up in the 80s. I was born in 1975. So, uh, from the time I was about five years old until the time I was about uh, 13 or 14 years old, I, Ronald Reagan was the president. And then George H.W. Bush was the president. And so um, I lived through the Reagan era. And of course, when I was in high school, is when Donald or uh when uh, Bill Clinton became the President, so I saw that and experienced that as well, and all of this kind of shaped my worldview all along though my mom, who was is a wonderfully devout woman of faith, um, raised my brother and I that you know going to church was important, and being involved in a faith community was important and and learning the the values and morals and ethics of of Christianity and the Judeo-Christian ethic were important. And she raised us that way. My stepdad, um, as I've mentioned before, couldn't, couldn't have picked a better guy, uh, to be my stepdad also, uh, joined in that effort, taught us how to be, you know, upstanding young men who were respectful and, and were, um, well-behaved and, and at the very least, um, uh, men who who were raised to to do our best to take care of our family and uh, to do it by honest means so that was the that was the experience I had growing up as a young teenager I felt um, a, a, a call as some call it or or describe it to the ministry and so I soon after graduating high school after kind of trying to experiment with a few things and and be adventurous and um and not live out the family of values that I was raised with uh I I moved into uh the world of ministry I it's a long story I was ended up in jail for a, a truck driving accident I was involved in and and uh, ended up you know how you do you bargain with God uh, even if you're not even if you're not a Christian even if you don't believe in God you know when you're in that tough tough spot we start to we start to uh, we start to bargain right you know God if you're real and I need you to do this for me and if you do I will do this for you and I kind of made that same thing and or, or did that same thing um, and it didn't really work out in my favor um, but in the end I ended up going to Bible college anyway um, because I felt like it was the right thing to do beyond the fact that I had had failed at the bargaining table. Uh, with the Almighty being of the entire universe uh i i um i still went uh, ended up getting involved with a uh with various churches and things and, and like i said going to college and that's where the discussion of free speech first began to come up because i i started college in nineteen ninety eight and then i um very adeptly jammed four years of college into eight. And uh, graduated in two thousand six, and so that's the era that I was in college. And while we were there, a lot of the various discussions of the things that we are dealing with today, as as very volatile political issues, um, were beginning to be discussed. We were we were beginning to talk about gay marriage. We were beginning to talk about um, more. Uh, restrictive regulations on the abortion industry in some places and the exact opposite in other places. And so uh, I, I was in college going to a a religiously based school to take on a religiously based uh, profession or career um, and being informed by my theology and the theology of the of the organization that I was connected to that these were issues that needed to be addressed and and so I had professors in Bible college even back in the late 90s and early 2000s beginning to say things along the lines of be careful when you preach that these sorts of things don't get said in the wrong way. Because if you do, you may face A, persecution from within your own church, B, persecution within your community, and C, persecution from the law if it is deemed to be hate speech. And some of these things kind of began to pop up even when I was in college, back in the late 90s and and early 2000s almost 20 years ago now in fact in in a couple of cases more than 20 years ago now and so this is where i began to first get um an introduction into do i want to stand for what i believe in and stand firmly on the things that i believe in and risk being at the at the worst legally prosecuted and at the at the the least um socially persecuted, socially ostracized, you know, by those who I am either called to lead or be a part of their uh, community. And then the other side of it, there was my own personal compassion for for humanity, for people. Um, when I was in Bible college, I met several men um, who were involved in homosexual relationships or uh, something along those lines. I ran into women and I talked with women who had um, had been, in their words, victims of the abortion industry. And I recognized that they were real people and they were human beings and they deserved respect and honor and, and um, grace just like any other human being. Even though I may have disagreed with their lifestyle or thought it to be uh, outside of my theological bent as far as appropriate behavior or whatever, even though that was the case, there there they were human beings. And even though all of this stuff was going on, I, I had to try to figure out a way to I had to figure out a way to reconcile what I believe to be true about my faith, and how to treat other human beings with an appropriate amount of compassion at the same time. the 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 way this is generally addressed nowadays is we call it tough love, right? We we tell our children that we love them, but we can't have them behaving in a certain way. So that there so there are um, there are appropriate punishments for inappropriate behavior if you know if they are 3 and they get caught stealing a cookie jar you know a month's worth of grounding is probably an inappropriate punishment you know if they are 3 and they steal a cookie jar maybe a firm no you may not have a cookie jar and then you hide the cookie jar up on top of the fridge where they can't get to it in or you get it some other form of Appropriate punishment, age-appropriate punishment, crime-appropriate punishment, or sin-appropriate punishment, whatever you want to call it, uh, infraction-appropriate punishment. And so taking that stance, going, I understand that my faith informs me, my my religious belief informs me of A, but humanity proves to me that B— so how do we how do we kind of reconcile that? So I, I began to form this view even back then on how I would approach a particular subject, and it did eventually uh, come up in my ministry as as I was a the pastor of a of a small church. Um, one of the issues that came up was a young man who was in the Air Force. Um, he was nineteen years old, and he was. Um, Adventuring on the internet, I will say it that way. And at 19 years old, he got involved in a what if I remember the story correctly, and I'm recalling this from you know 10 or 12 years ago, so uh, I may not have all of the details exactly right. Um, he was he was adventuring around on a, a a gay dating site. wasn't sure if he was gay, didn't know, was kind of trying to figure all of this out on there he meets a 17-year-old male. Now, 1917, not really a big problem. I mean, as far as age, this isn't, We're you know, we're not talking pedophilia here. Um, it obviously wouldn't be much different than the senior who's dating a junior. The senior goes off to college is now 18, and the the junior is now 16. And technically, 18 and 16, you know, in some states illegal or whatever. So that issue arose. This young man at some point determined that he didn't want to continue down that path. And, but because he had been arrested and charged with a crime as a sex offender for being 19 while the other individual was 17, he didn't, wasn't allowed to attend a local church because that local church was actually meeting in the basement of the YMCA where there was a daycare. And so as a sex offender, he was not allowed on the premises. So the, the pastor of that church contacted me and said, hey, can, you know, Billy Bob, you know, obviously the name has been changed uh, to protect the innocent. Can Billy Bob come attend your church? So, well, you know, let me run it by the board because I cannot make a unilateral decision like that. But I spoke with my church board and we all came to the conclusion that, yes, if this man wants to to seek out a relationship with God in whatever form, that it is our job to facilitate that. Of course, there would have to be protections in place. We you know he wouldn't be allowed to teach Sunday school or, you know, with young children and things like that. Um, because we had to protect the the members of the congregation. Not that anybody was really worried about any of that, but from a legal perspective, we also had to we had to protect ourselves. So there were certain things that we had to uh, take into consideration. So we we did this and, and um, we agreed to it. it and unfortunately, the, the gentleman never did uh, end up attending our church, but that was one of those moments where we had to actually, address the issue is this a person that we want to ostracize or is this a person that we want to offer grace to and so thankfully my church board and I chose to um offer grace and it was kind of my first um st- steps or or wading into the realms of dealing with controversial issues from a religious perspective. Moving on a couple of years, I, I I moved on and resigned from the church, ended up in the in the radio world, and as a former pastor, have been asked several times, where do you stand, this, that, or the other, on various political issues, and have said many, many controversial things about what I believe on this level and, and how I reconcile that with my faith and all of those sorts of things— and, and the reality is um, there have been times where I have, in my head, had a quick argument. If you say that thing out loud, that could be the end of your career in radio. If you say that thing out loud, there are advertisers that advertise with the radio station that would possibly pull their advertising. Thankfully, nobody's ever done that. And and all of the advertisers that advertise with our station um, have been incredibly um, loyal to the station, not necessarily to me specifically, but to the station. Because that's the other thing I got to think about is if, if my words and or my statements uh, impact advertisers at the radio station, it is not just me that is affected. It is the salesperson who handles that account. It is the other personalities on not just the station I'm on, but we have five different stations that we own in that station group. And so the personalities and salespeople affected by those stations are also Uh, A part of this discussion, just like with Steven Crowder, is the fact that he has whatever 10 or 12 or 15 employees that work with him to produce the Louder with Crowder show. And so if, if he loses advertising, if he loses monetary support, it is not just him that is affected. It is, it is an entire group of people, his entire organization. If he can't continue to pay their salaries, he's got to lay them off, uh, whatever he's got to do. Now their lives are negatively impacted because of the things that he has said. Now, fair or unfair, uh, right or wrong, that is the reality. Whether it is it is appropriate that you YouTube has demonetized him or not is somewhat of a different discussion or a separate discussion. It certainly is a discussion that needs to be had, but it is not a discussion that is entirely the the key point here. And of course, he's kind of made that the the center focus of his discussion on it. And and I suppose for him, rightly so. I certainly am not going to second guess his his. Uh, stance or position on it. he's in a in a position that I'm just not. you know Stephen Crowder has three million subscribers on YouTube. I have three hundred. you know I, I'm not the I'm not the the uh, social media powerhouse that that he is. I don't have the following that he has. Now someday I would like to have that following. I would like to be able to get to that position. I would love to be able to to fund my life. And pay my bills and things like that with simply one job instead of doing radio and podcasting and a part-time job at the railroad at the same time. I'd like to be able to be where he is and, and be able to live the lifestyle that I live because of the income that I can generate from a podcast, a, a YouTube show. And, and as I mentioned before, we've we've dumped the video for a while. Um, we've been having a lot of trouble with the video. And until we can do it right, um, we're not, this is a side note here, we're not going to continue um, putting effort into uh, a bad product. We, I just have not been happy with the way the the video stuff has been going. Um, I've not been happy with the product that we've been putting out, and I figure if we're going to do it, I want to do it right. So we're we're kind of putting a, a pause on the video. We we fully intend to bring it back, which also brings me to a point I want to mention. Uh, one of the the YouTube or I'm sorry, one of the podcast listeners and one of my local radio station listeners, uh, a guy by the name of Dale. We call him DB. Uh, has generously gifted me um, an incredibly beautiful metalwork um, American flag with we the people cut into it. And it is absolutely gorgeous. I'm going to post a picture of it on my Facebook page and let everybody see it because it is absolutely incredible. And simply out of the kindness of his heart, he gifted that to me to put in the studio here, um, so when we do have video, we've got a cool background and not just a blank wall. We've got some cool stuff hanging on the wall. So thank you, Dale, for for your kindness in that. Uh, it is probably one of the awesomest gifts I've ever received. It was, it was fantastic. But anyway, back to the discussion. So one day I would like to be where Steven Crowder is. I would like to have the following that Ben Shapiro has. I would like to have the following that that, uh, that a Jordan Peterson or someone like that has. He, Jordan Peterson, um, I, I heard an interview with him recently, I don't know how long ago it was, a couple of months ago, where he talked about the fact that he was earning $80,000 a month on Patreon. I mean, that, that, that's staggering to me. It takes me an entire year to make that much money. Or more sometimes. And so he was earning $80,000 a month on Patreon before stepping away and starting his own platform, which I'm also going to be looking into just, if nothing else, out of curiosity. But to get to that point, there's there's some decisions that have to be made, right? Either you go full-on controversial Alex Jones, which just is not in my... Um, it's just not in me. That's not my personality to be that... That first of all, I just have a, I struggle with conspiracy theories in general. You know the 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 whole radical viewpoint of so, for example, the the nine eleven conspiracy theories. I I, I I struggle with the idea that you would have to get not just the three thousand people in the building who have disappeared from the face of the planet, but all of their families, their friends, their relatives, their neighbors anyone that knows them, to go along with the conspiracy. The, the hundreds and thousands of government officials involved in the airlines and the FAA and the air traffic control and the pilots and the, the, the families of the, the stewardesses and, and all of the people involved with the investigation. I mean, you're talking literally hundreds of thousands of people involved in a conspiracy keeping their mouth shut and never spilling the beans, never giving up the story. Like the the amount of people that it would require to keep that conspiracy is astronomical and exponential. And so I just have a hard time believing that there is some grand conspiracy that 9-11 never really happened and it wasn't actually planes or anything like that. So... Um, it just seems to me that there is, there's too many people involved in conspiracy theories uh, because y- you put you put three people in a room um, and ask them to tell you a story of, of what they did for, uh, for excitement that weekend at the party or whatever, and you'll get three different stories, and they won't match. There'll be a couple of details that are similar, but they'll all have a different viewpoint. The old saying is uh, three people can keep a secret if two of them are dead. Right. So that anyway, that all of that aside, you have the choice to either go full on, you know, controversial and and reach the craziest of the crazies and the the most radical of the radicals, or you can simply provide good content that people want to listen to and want to be a part of and want to interact with. And that's what what I want to do. Now, that's the harder way to go. That's the more difficult approach to take but it is the approach that I intend to take. But where that ties in for me and how I have found myself in the middle of this discussion, I have to start thinking ahead because if this is happening now, if I work to build an audience over the next three, four, five, 10, 12, 20, whatever years, how how much longer will the, the platforms like Patreon, the platforms like... YouTube or Twitter or Facebook or whatever other podcasting software or podcasting platform or radio station that I'm a part of will allow me to say controversial things like, I don't think President Trump is really that bad. Or simply say controversial things like, I believe that a fetus is a baby. And we should not be allowed to kill that fetus for the sake of convenience. Or if I say things like, I don't believe gay marriage is a legitimate function of the United States government at any level, federal, state, local, county, whatever. In saying those things, it will be very easy to be labeled as as hate speech. And where this plays in for you or where this falls for you, the listener, is that your views of the world, and it doesn't matter, right, left, center at all. I mean, none of that's relevant, really. Because no matter where you are, there's going to be someone that disagrees with you. There's going to be someone who does not stand on the same side of the fence with you. And today they are not coming for your views platform. They're not coming for your side of the fence, but tomorrow they may, and the next day they might. And so if that's the case, if that's where we end up, then then you find yourself in a very precarious position. Because it's interesting, if you listen to Steven Crowder, Steven Crowder will laugh and, and mock the idea that Carlos Maza suggests that all of the media and YouTube and and all of the 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 mainstream news media that they're all controlled by the alt-right right wing crazies. Carlos Maza will suggest that that it is Fox News that controls the narrative and is brainwashing our students and our kids and and the young people and even old people. But if you listen to Steven Crowder or Ben Shapiro or Rush Limbaugh or any of the others, they will tell you that it is the that it is the radical left that controls the media. And and the fact that Fox News actually isn't all that far right. In fact, they're more in the middle. They're more centrist. And in fact, they're actually even a little bit left, but because they are not nearly as far left as CNN and MSNBC, they appear to be far right radicals. And so, Depending on which side of the fence you're standing on, depending on which side of the the uh, the the mirror you happen to be viewing from, you realize or you believe, I should say, that that your viewpoint is being attacked. That's part of the reason Carlos Maza put out the video he put out, claiming that they don't have the ability to to reach people the way Crowder has because of the platform that Google has or YouTube via Google has given them. When in reality, the the story I don't know, is it $20 million, $20 million, $20 billion grant or whatever it was that, yeah, $20 million, I think, that that YouTube gave to Vox so that they could produce media, produce content for YouTube. So, I mean, y- you look around and and you start to see, well, it seems to me that YouTube is is favoring people on the left like those at Vox. But if you look around at the popularity of people on YouTube, oftentimes the popularity of right-wing figures or right-leaning figures are much more popular on YouTube than others. So what does that mean? Does it mean that YouTube is favoring them, that Google is favoring them? I don't think so. And then you have people like Jordan Peterson who are beginning to work on and and I believe are launching their own platforms in a different way to allow all speech, regardless of of what it is, the 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 idea being or the philosophy being essentially that, hey, if you are a radical, crazy, racist, white supremacist nutjob. And you want to spew your hate all over the world, go ahead and feel free. You can do it on our platform, but don't be don't be offended when others come in and begin to counteract your speech. Don't be offended when others step up to to point you out for the radical that you are. And I think that's part of the danger in some of this YouTube stuff and the 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 Facebook censoring and things of uh, or, or YouTube or or Twitter. I mean, um, you know, censoring some of these various alt to alt-right or alt-left or alt-center or alt-whatever that, that these being censored, that these being hidden is actually dangerous because one of the best things that you can do, the best way that you can prove that white supremacists are crazy and absolutely out of touch with reality because they think that the color of your skin makes you a better human being or, or whatever The best way to prove that that is nuts, the best way to prove that that's insane is simply let them talk. Let them open their mouths and prove that they are fools. You know, what's the old saying from from the Psalms or from Proverbs? You know, it's better to be thought of, you know, to, to remain silent and be thought of as a fool than to open your mouth and prove it. So so there's some value in allowing these voices, these extremist voices, to be heard, bringing them out into the sunlight and, and be exposed for what they are, be exposed for the craziness and the radicalness that they are. Now, I think there's also some value in saying, hey, come on, you can't say that kind of thing. But I think the, the people that need to, hey, come on, you can't say that kind of thing, are the people that need to be able to push back against that kind of thing. It can't be the government saying you can't say that kind of thing. It can't be some big corporate conglomerate saying you can't say that kind of thing, whether it's Google or YouTube or Twitter or uh, Facebook or whatever, because when that happens, they then get to be the victim. They get to call themselves the victim. I have been oppressed by the government. I have been oppressed by the corporate conglomerate that is YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Insta, Snapchat, whatever. I I have been oppressed by these various groups. But if you simply allow them to speak and allow them to expose themselves for the fools they are, regardless of what, what makes them a fool, whether it's white supremacy or whether it's um, anti- anything or pro anything the 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 approach to simply allowing themselves to be exposed or or taking that approach is what I meant to say taking the approach of allowing them to expose themselves then allows the essentially the I don't want to say the heckler's veto but it allows people to see who they really are and and allows people to make their own decisions as to whether or not their voice is a legitimate voice for discussion. And I think most humans, if given the chance and that, and, and having been taught appropriate uh, morals and values and, and ethics, will recognize that those voices are not legitimate voices. In fact, that's part of the reason that, and, and I believe Jordan Peterson actually talks about this, but it's part of the reason why the Judeo-Christian ethic is important. The Judeo-Christian ethic of treating each other as you want to be treated, the Judeo-Christian ethic of of loving your enemies and things like that are, are an important part of society. And to vilify or demonize Christians um for speaking out against various topics that you simply disagree with is a dangerous place to be. Because if you if you if you get away from the crazy um radical Christian groups like the Westboro Baptist Church, the idiots down there in in Westboro, Kansas, or wherever they're at, somewhere down in Kansas, if you get away from people like that and you talk to the average Joe Christian that attends your average middle class, whatever, lower class, upper class, whatever, your your average American church, there are very, very, very few of them that would ever, ever stand on a street corner with a sign that says, God hates fags. There's very few of them ever that would ever deny someone their, um, their human rights for any reason. There are very, very, very few Christians that would ever behave in a way that is detrimental to society. The, the evil uh, Catholic priests that have been um, victimizers over the years, that have foisted unspeakable acts of evil on young children over the years, are not representative of Christianity. As I've always said, um, if you look to me, As an example of what Christianity would be, you're looking in the wrong place. I will fail you. I will let you down. I'm a human being. I screw stuff up all the time. I've been married to my wife for 22 years, and at least, well, I don't know how often, but more often than should, I don't always treat her the way I should. I do my best to be a respectful husband and a good father and and a provider for our family and all those sorts of things. But there are times when I you know, come home from work after a long day and I snap at her over something silly that I shouldn't have snapped at her about. Or I don't take the time to really dig into what happened before, you know, yelling at my kids to find out later that, you know, they didn't really do anything wrong. It was the neighbor kid across the street or whatever the the issue is. If you look to me to be the example, you will be sorely disappointed. And and the same is true of really any religion. The same is true of really any religion. It doesn't matter if it's Hinduism, Buddhism, you know, Muslim, it, it doesn't matter. If you look at the adherence of the religion as the example, you will be sorely disappointed because none of them will ever live up to either A, the reality of, or B, the mythology of, their religion and so the importance of judeo christian ethic and involving it and making it a part of our culture every and this is there's actually been studies done by by legitimate sociologists that have actually nothing to do with faith in any way shape or form that have done studies that every single culture that has adopted The Judeo-Christian ethic, for a significant period of time, you know, as a a culture that is, you know, wide adoption within the culture, women and children and minorities have fared better, have been better off. Women, children, and minorities have been better off because of the Judeo-Christian ethic being adopted into a culture. And that's not, and I'm not saying people becoming Christians and accepting that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior and all of those sorts of things, but just adopting the, the, the values held dear by the Judeo-Christian ethic, not by Christians, not by the church, not by some organization or anything like that, but the, the concept of the Judeo-Christian ethic, treating each other with respect, treating each other the way you would like to be treated, loving your neighbor, loving your enemy, all of those sorts of things. Cultures that have adopted that overwhelmingly, women, children, and minorities have fared better. Interestingly enough, the other thing that's happened is they've been more financially prosperous. They've become more wealthy. Some some people refer to this as the concept of Western Western culture or whatever. Um, I think it's more important than that because it is it is based on specifically based on. Judeo-Christian principles taught by the the founders of the Christian faith, Jesus, the disciples, and and so on. So anyway, all of that to say, all of that to come back to, for you the listener, if you are interested in and want to hear truth, regardless of what you believe to be truth— if you are a crazy right wing supremacist, or, or a crazy right wing white supremacist, and you want to hear a bunch of crazy white wing white white right wing wow, it's easy hard for me to say that right wing white supremacists, then you need to find a way to support those channels. I would hope you don't, other than finding a way to expose them for their radical craziness and their evil. But if you want to hear the truth about politics from a conservative point of view, you need to make sure that you're supporting. And I'm not begging for money. It's not the point here. I don't, it's not at all my point here. Even if it's just going to their YouTube channels and watching the YouTube channels and not clicking on skip ad, just allowing the ad to play. So that particular YouTube uh, content creator gets paid on that ad, because if you skip the ad, they don't get paid on it. So if if it's something as simple as that, or subscribing to their podcast or subscribing to their, their feed or following them on their social media, or, or even just purchasing the products um, that they advertise, what's the, what's the beef jerky company that, that Linus tech tips? Um, he's got a beef jerky. I, my son watches a lot of Linus tech tips. And he advertises for some beef jerky company. The next time you go out and buy beef jerky, buy that brand of beef jerky. And and l- call the customer comment line and tell them, I bought this product because I support this content creator. I purchased that product. I do this all the time. I purchase products. I drive cars. I buy oil and and the things for my cars. And I, I go out and purchase you know, household products based on whether or not they support the the um, the hobbies that I engage in. I am a I'm a trap shooter, competition trap shooter. My son and I uh, have gotten involved in in shooting clay pigeons over the last several years, a couple of years, three years, four years, whatever it's been. And uh, so we we try our best to support products and support companies that support our hobby. So if, there, if we go to a competition and we see this competition supported by, you know, Billy Bob's sporting warehouse, the next time we need to buy shotgun shells or the next time we need to buy re- reloading supplies or, or whatever, we go out and we support that business. We purchase it from them. And the same works with, co- uh, with content creators. If you want to continue to hear what these various content creators have to say, whether it's me, uh, you know, a, 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 a Generally, a, a nobody in the world of podcasting, then then support the things that that I support. Support me on Patreon. You know, find a way to be involved. If you know of somebody that might be willing to advertise, send us an email. Hey, I, I know my cousin's company uh, is looking for ways to advertise, and and he wants to help a startup podcaster like you. Uh, so, you know, here's his contact information. Or if it's, you know, Steven Crowder and you you, you are a, a gun enthusiast, go buy a Walther pistol because Steven Crowder is, advertises Walther pistols and let them know the reason I purchased this v- product, this item is because I support this content creator because I can guarantee you those voices are much more numerous than the voices that say i am boycotting this or boycotting that or boycotting some other thing or i refuse to buy whatever because or i shouldn't say because but those voices are more numerous they're simply quieter they they don't get the they don't get the um the press because it just doesn't make for good press. It doesn't make for uh, an interesting story on Fox News or MSNBC to hear that a hundred thousand people supported Billy Bob's sporting warehouse because they heard about uh, they heard about it on a, on a YouTube channel. Well, so what? Nobody cares. But if some high-profile celebrity says, I refuse to go work here or do this or, or buy coffee from that place. That makes news. But it's really only one. Because all of the people that, that, that watch that celebrity in their movies or buy their music or, or listen to them on whatever uh, TV station, they still go shop at those stores. They still work in those places. They still go get their coffee from there because it's right there on their way to work. They're not going to drive across town to, to, to buy a cup of coffee from somebody else. There's a few, but not very many. So in in all of this, as you hear all of these stories about you know whether it's apocalypse or whatever other controversy that is going on, the only advice that I can give you, the only uh, advice that I can tell you is, a just don't bother with the boycotts because they never work. I, I remember back in the 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 late '90s, early 2000s when I was in Bible college, the big thing was all of the Christians wanted to boycott Disney. Don't don't go to Disney movies. Don't rent Disney movies. Don't buy Disney movies. You know, find, you know, whatever, Pixar, I don't know, it's Disney-Pixar Disney, combined now, aren't they? But, I mean, the, go go find a different form of entertainment for your family. Did it really hurt Disney any? And think they're like the one of the largest media corporations in the world now. And if not, they probably are. So, did it really hurt Disney? Did it really make your point other than to make you look like a, you're not going to let your kids watch a Disney movie? Because they have Gay Day at Disneyland, really? That's going to be you, the 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 ostracization from your from your coworkers, the people laughing at you behind your back because of it, and not only that is how many how many people if if your purpose was I want to reflect God or whatever or or try to to encourage people to follow Jesus through boycotting Disney, how many people do you suppose came to Jesus because oh all those Christians are boycotting Disney. I should become a Christian. Really? Think that's going to work? So uh, if I if I don't bother with the boycotts, they don't work. They're, they're, there are places that I don't go um, or don't shop in, but not because I'm quote-unquote boycotting them, but simply because I, I'd rather not. I, there's other places that I like better and they support my hobbies. So I'm going to go there and support them as opposed to not going somewhere else. There, I had a friend that when I was in college, it used to always say, I always want to be running towards something instead of running away from something. I always want to be running for something instead of running from something. And, and so that's kind of the approach that I've taken. But uh, if you like the content that we create, support us. If you like the content that somebody else creates, support them. I, I'm, I'm, this isn't about greed for me. Um, I have never been, um, looking to become a, a, a gazillionaire, you know, media mogul tycoon or whatever like that. Uh, you know, if somebody donated me a million dollars tomorrow, I, I've actually had this question. Somebody asked me, well, what if you won the lottery? Would you come to work tomorrow? Would you still be on the air tomorrow? I say, yeah, I'd be on the air tomorrow, but I would own the radio station. So, yeah, I'd still do it. It's not about the money. Of course, the money, you, you got to have money to live life, right? Nobody nobody, nobody wants to have to go to work every single day um, and, and grind out a living from whatever. But in order to do the things that you want to do on the weekends, the things you want to do in the evenings, you got to have money. So uh, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I'm some altruistic, I don't want to make money. I absolutely do. But that's not the end goal. The end goal for me is to enjoy the life that I live with my wife and my kids and my friends and my family and all of that. Um, And if I can do that by talking to you about politics and about the adpocalypse and telling other people's stories and how they intersect with current issues, well, that's the end goal. That would be great. So anyway, thanks you. Th- thanks you. Thank you for listening once again this week, and we will see you all again next week. I'm Brad Schmidt. This has been The Schmidt Show. And to all of you Schmidt heads out there, if you are interested in supporting us, you know how to fu- just go to patreon.com and search for The Schmidt Show. I'm not going to b- give, I don't have links in my, I think there might be a link on my, on com. I'm not really sure where. Um, there might be a link on theschmidtshow.com Again, I'm not really sure where. I just don't, That's not my goal in any of this, but uh, follow us on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter, all of that kind of stuff. Interact with us there. Engage with us there. Send us messages. If you got ideas, if you got uh, suggestions, we want to hear it. Uh, Brad at KNOX or no, that's my, <laughs> that's my radio station re- uh, email, Brad at the Schmidt Show dot com. Send me an email there and, uh, let us know if you've got a story that you want to tell. I've actually got some, some fun things lined up in the next coming weeks, uh, for people to tell their stories and how those stories interact with, uh, with the current situations and the current topics of the day. And so I'm looking forward to seeing how we move forward with the Schmidt Show and provide for you a better product every single week. And uh, we hope that you will enjoy what we put out. And like I said, if you do, support us, help us out. We'll see you next week.